Good morning. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Um, you guys, this congregation has supported me and my family since day one, since we started our endeavor at the Tri-City School of Preaching, both financially and I know spiritually through your prayers, and we covet your prayers. As you know, we have to put up with Wesley Simons and Eddie Kraft on a daily basis, and we do covet your prayers in that. It has been a true blessing. It's been a joy to, to be at school. It's been a challenge. But anything that's worth having is worth fighting for and worth working hard for. And, and we don't get to know what God has revealed to us without a little work. And to rightly divide it, it takes study. To prepare our hands for war, to be able to go into a congregation and teach the precepts of God and speak as the divine oracles and utterances of God, it takes work. And we are so thankful for you for affording us that opportunity. Uh, Kay and Wesley told me to send you guys their love, that they love you so much and uh, they wish you guys the very best until they see you again. Um, this morning, I, I, I was having some difficulty deciding what we were going to do for Bible class. Was I just going to preach a sermon, or would we just open up God's Word and dig into it? So I decided, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 20. And I want this to be um, a Bible class period where you guys can raise your hand and interject and make comments if you wish. Um, if you have questions, I'm not going to tell you I know all the answers, but we know that answers can be found. And so if you have questions or comments, please don't hesitate in asking those or making those comments. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, in this opening statement of chapter 20, Solomon, by inspiration, calls out wine, alcoholic beverage, for what it is. Wine is a mocker. Alcohol does things to the human body, doesn't it? It does things to our mind. It changes the way we think. It changes the way people act. And so he says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. The New American Standard uses the word brawler there. Has anybody ever known alcohol to turn somebody mean? To make them uh, somebody that they normally would not be? Alcohol has caused so, so many people to do things that they would have never done if they had been of sober mind. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging or a brawler, and whosoever is deceived thereby, another translation will use the word intoxicated. Whosoever is intoxicated thereby is not wise. It is not wise to drink alcohol, to use that substance. And why is that? We have an adversary, don't we? We're told to be sober and to be vigilant. And that word sober literally means free of intoxicants, clear-minded, able to think. Because the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. 
And so, it's important for us to understand the ills. Now, there's a big push, even in the church of the Lord today, to accept social drinking. It's being taught and lectured upon, even in our brotherhood universities, that it's okay to drink socially. It's being taught and lectured upon, even now, last year at Freed Hardeman, that Jesus made alcoholic wine in John chapter 2 in Cana of Galilee. Friends, it's time that we start pushing back on, on that idea. Because if... If Jesus made intoxicating in, in beverage in John 2 in Cana of Galilee, then our Lord is simply a first century bartender. And we can't allow that kind of teaching and thing to go on, and we can't accept that as the truth, because if that be the case, there is no bomb in Gilead today. God forbid that we dissolve the religion of the Son of God down to the wine bibbers and the drunks. Verse number 2. Anybody got any comments or questions before we move on? Verse number 2. The fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. Whoso provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own soul. Kings have a lot of power, don't they? We look back through history and and the kings that ruled in, in, in kingdoms and they ruled over men, they had the power to put a man to death, didn't they? A king would have the power, if you provoked him to anger, to hang you in the gallows, to remove your head from off your body. They had the power of death. David showed this when a young man came to him with Saul's kingly apparel and and, and had admitted to David that he had killed. And David said, were you not afraid to put your hand against the Lord's anointed? And what did David do as the anointed of God? He said, fall on that man. I believe it was Joab. He said, fall on that man and kill him. The man forfeited his life because he had provoked the king. This idea of sinneth against his own soul literally means he forfeits his life. But what about the ultimate king? What about God Almighty? You recall in 2 Samuel, I believe it was chapter 6, David's bringing the ark home, and it's been away and taken by the Philistines, and they've had it for quite some time. The, the ark of God is not been where it's supposed to be and they're bringing that home but they're not doing it according to the law see they've created this made this new cart and they've got it pulled by an ox but in the law God had prescribed that the sons of Kohath would carry the ark on staves upon their shoulders the sons of Kohath weren't given carts they weren't given oxen they were given direct orders to carry the ark upon their shoulders, all of the tabernacle furniture. So they've got this ark. They're doing a good thing, right? They're bringing the ark of God home. And that ox stumbles at the threshing floor, and Uzzah, 
doing a good thing, right? Oh, well-intentioned. He puts his hand up to steady that ark. And what happened? The anger of the Lord was kindled against him, wasn't it? The, the anger of the king, the ultimate king in Uzzah, lost. He forfeited his life from doing that. It's an honor for a man, verse 3, to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. I wish to God today that every member of the Lord's church would read this verse and take it to heart. That it's an honor for men to cease from strife and that it is a fool that meddles. You know... So much controversy and so much strife is engendered with busybodies and people that stick their nose in places and where it don't belong and they don't tend to give brethren the benefit of the doubt. You know, that's something that we should all do. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And at verse 18, let me see. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Oh, how we need that kind of attitude instilled in every one of us. Instilled within our children not to be quarrelsome, not to be looking for opportunities in which to drag each other down and to get out of the mess hall where brethren are fighting its brethren and get out on the front lines where the battle needs to be waged, where souls of men are dying and they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. As much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men, especially within the church of the living God. It's an honor for man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and at verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. See, they were causing a lot of problems church of Thessalonica. They were not doing, they were not working with their own hands. They were being busybodies in everybody else's business. They were borrowing things because they were not working. And Paul had to set them in order. Paul had to set them straight. And so it is, it is good and it is honorable for a man to cease from strife and by the power of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meddlers are called fools. Verse number 4, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. The sluggard, the lazy man. Boy, we've got a society full of them today, don't we? Society is riddled with people that are well and able to go to work. They just won't. And so they beg. And I'm not talking about people that are not able to go to work because we should take care of those people. We should help the people that have no other way and they cannot do for themselves. 
we should take care of those people. But the people who will just make up excuses, and they're sluggards and they're lazy, those people should not get help. What did, what did Paul write in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and at verse 10? For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither let him eat. You see, we have fed a, a, a large crowd in our society to the point to where they don't have to work. They've got a roof over their head. They've got assistance. They're fully able to go to work, but we pay them so well that why would they? Why would they? Why would they uh, leave their assisted type financial situation where they have plenty of bread to go out there and to break a sweat? We have done ourselves a huge disservice. Now, here in this verse 4, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. How many farmers have you ever known to say, well, I'm just not going to do anything today because of this, that, or the other? It does not happen. People that till the ground and they work land and they raise cattle, there's always something to do. There is no room for excuses. There is no room for sluggardness or laziness. But they always have what they need, don't they? They're all, they always have an abundance. They're able to give to others. It's so important to work hard. Verse number five, the counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Counsel in the heart of man, now the Bible speaks a lot of wise counsel and how it's important for us to seek out wise counsel. And who usually has wise counsel? It's the people who have lived life. It's the people who have a little age on them, people who have experienced life. Those people generally have good counsel to give to those that are seeking wise counsel, people that are a little younger. I'm not going to usually go to a person who is in their 20s and ask them some hard life problem because they don't have that experience. You see, I'm... I'm going to seek wise counsel from a person who's been around the block a time or two, who has lived in these situations, who's made mistakes and knows how they would do it if they could do it again. Or they know how they were successful because they did it right the first time. That's where wise counsel is. But usually it is it has to be drawn out. A lot of times wise men don't just go around just spouting off full information. No, you have to ask them, corner them, beseech of them, beg of them of their knowledge. That's why it says it is like deep water. You see, a shallow stream of water running across the ground, bubbling against the rocks, makes a lot of noise, doesn't it? You go to the old Poi River and it's not really deep, but in places, but as it moves along and it crashes, it's really loud, but you go to the Tennessee River, you walk up beside it, you don't hear it running, do you? Do you? That's how it is with a wise old man and a wise old lady. 
They have deep understanding. But they're not going to be loud and boisterous about the things that they know. But the knowledge is there, and you're able to draw it out of them with questions. Now, verse 6, any questions, any comments? Verse number 6. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know, you ever known anybody just a, boy, they're, they're just the best person you could ever meet, and they'll tell you about it. They'll boast every man his own goodness or his own loyalty. Boy, you can trust me. You can, if you got a secret, you can tell me. I'm a good man. I'm a loyal man. I'm trustworthy. You see, there's people out here in this world that will boast every man his own goodness. There's your red flag. That's who you need to watch out for. It's the person who puts himself out there, who is uh, advertising his own virtues. You know, good people don't have to do that. They live their life. They live their their life in simpleness and quietness and they go about and they're known what what does the bible say in matthew 7 i believe it's verse 16 by your by their fruits you shall know them see we're able to look at someone's life and say that man or that woman is trustworthy that man or that woman is a good person it's by their fruits it's not by the profession of their own mouth people that boast of their own goodness and their own loyalty those people got to watch out for you recall in second samuel chapter 9 there was a man by the name of absalom david's son and what did he tell people oh if i was just a judge in your matter i would do you right oh if i was just a judge and he sat at the gate and he boasted every man of his goodness and his loyalty whether they had a case that was worth taking or not oh if i was just a judge over you did absalom have good intentions absolutely not he was an insurrectionist against his own father and the proof was in his life by by his fruits you shall know them and it was exposed he was exposed in verse number seven the just man walketh in his integrity his children are blessed after him. You know, integrity is so important. And that's why it's important as children of God, as Christians, as representatives of Jesus Christ and his church, it's important by the way we walk. It's important how we live our lives. But it says that his children are blessed after him. Why is that? You know, sometimes men have had a mess of kids and they lived their life in such a way they were so impactful on a community. The community knew that you could really trust this man. And his kids also were respected because of the goodness of their father. Well, I would do anything for their boys. Their dad would do anything for anybody. The children live a blessed life after them because of the life that their parents lived. And not only, we're not just talking about um, a community being rallied around a family, because, but 
but because of the training that the children receive in the life that the parents have lived, the man who walks in his integrity will surely be a blessing to his children after him. Verse number 8. A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil with his eyes. A righteous king, a good king, will not stand for evil to be present before him. God would not allow, once Israel's cup of iniquity filled and the stench of their sin reached his nostrils, he moved, didn't he? And he acted upon that. And while the vengeance of God has been stored up for a long time now, and I don't know when America's cup of iniquity is going to be full, and I don't know when exactly the stench of America's sin will hit the nostrils of God Almighty, but when it does, he will move. A king, a righteous man, scatters iniquity and away all evil with his eyes. Verse 9, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Who can say I have made my heart clean? Who among us has the ability to say, I have purified my heart? I did it on my own. I don't need God to do that. I don't need Christ to cover me in his precious blood. I have purified my own heart. Who among us could say that? Nobody. In Ecclesiastes 7 and 20, I believe it says that there's not a just man upon the face of the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. None of us can purify our own hearts, separate and apart from the work of, of God and Christ. Who can say I am pure from my sin? I can tell you who can say I am pure from my sin. And those that are plunged beneath the tempting flood are purified from their sin. Revelation 1.5 Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of this earth, who loved us, and what did he do for us? Washed us from our sins in his own blood. Friends, separate and apart from that precious blood, we have no hope of being purified from sin. Oh, I can make a, I can make a response, and it's up to me and it's up to you to make a response to the love of God and to the shed blood of Christ. And it's up to you to get into that watery grave of baptism whereby you can contact that saving blood. But that's all we do is make a response to it. Jesus paid it all, and he did it all. Verse number 10. Diverse weights and diverse measures, both of them alike are abominations to the Lord. Deuteronomy 25, the dishonest weights and dishonest measures are condemned. And we as children of God are commanded to be honest people, not to cheat and to get enrich our lives in any kind of way by dishonest gain. That's, that's not the way we are supposed to operate. 
And anybody that operates like that will answer for it on the day of judgment. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And lying, using dishonest scales, is sin. Lying's a sin, right? I believe I read it in Revelation 21.8. All liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And to use dishonest weights and dishonest measures are an abomination to the Lord. Verse number 11. Even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. You ever known a little old knot-headed kid to just be an absolute terror and, and, and you say, you know what, that kid don't have a chance in this world. He don't have a chance. His mama and daddy aren't raising him right. You can tell by the way he's you know, swinging from the, the chandeliers. Uh, he has no discipline in his life. And we know that a child that has no discipline in his life has no chance in this world. It is by discipline and by training and instruction. It's, it's by that balanced approach that God has ordained to raise a child. Ephesians 6 and 4, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but train them up, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, the teaching, the instruction, and the discipline, the positive and the negative. And when that happens, that creates balance. And that is how God has instructed men and women to raise their children. But you can know a child by their fruits, just like you can know a man by their fruits. You can look at a child, and I'm not saying, and I know children, I have a two-year-old, okay? So I know sometimes and they haven't had enough sleep or things they're going to have throw fits, and that's the training opportunity. But most of the time, when we get on up to 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, we can tell a child that has been trained properly in the home by the way they carry themselves, by the way they respect authority or not. I have seen videos of young kids absolutely terrorizing teachers in school and other, and other authority figures, police officers. We see it in the lives of men up, up north and in Chicago and New York where police officers are being attacked by mobs of adults. What happened to these adults? They weren't trained right as children, were they? And the fruit is evident in their life. No respect for authority. Verse number 12, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. You know, this verse is interesting because it just states a fact. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made both of them. They're so intricate in their detail. If you've ever studied anatomy and you, and you see what it takes for the eyeball to do what it does, <laughs> it's amazing. To study and to see how the ear works, how the ear brings sound in and the eardrum works and how the brain works with the eyeball and the ear, it's amazing. It's God's design. There's none of us in here that 
would ever buy the theory of evolution to say that something as intricate as an eyeball or an ear or even an atom, even a little bitty tiny string of DNA just happened by chance. God made it all. That's the only rational conclusion that we can come to is there is an almighty and an awesome creator. Now, verse 13, have you ever struggled with a verse? You ever had a verse, come across a verse, and you just struggle with that verse? Love not sleep. <laughs> I love sleep. I love a nap. <clears throat> My little boy slept 11 hours last night, and what a blessing that was. I tell you, I love sleep. Sleep is necessary for life. Sleep is necessary for us to rejuvenate our bodies and to gain strength for the day ahead. And it's important to rejuvenate our minds, to be able to think clearly. Sleep is, is necessary. And, and God knew that while we are sojourning through this world, that sleep is something that we're going to have to sleep. We're not like God. Psalm 121.4 says, The God that keeps Israel never sleeps nor slumbers. God is not limited by, our, by the physical body in which we live, but we are. And it requires that we sleep, but too much sleep. You know, we can sleep our lives away. We can, we can love sleep to a point to that we don't want to get out of bed and we don't go to work. And then we put ourselves in bad situations financially and our family can suffer. So love not sleep to the point that you come to poverty. Open thine eyes, get up, get out of bed, put your work clothes on, and you'll be satisfied. That's the only way to make it. That's the way that God intended for people to be satisfied and to build a life is by going to work and earning it. God did not intend. God has always provided for those who were not able to. God provided for the Levites and the offerings. They were doing their job and they were provided for their their means was made out of the sacrifices in which the people offered to God. But you know that in the law of Moses, God provided for the stranger that was in the gate and for the beggar. For the people who were without. God has always provided for those. But the people who could work, they're expected to work. And the people that refuse to work will answer for their sluggard and lazy attitude and disposition in this life on the day of judgment. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied. Verse 14, any comments, any, any questions, any concerns? And the Proverbs, I maybe should have started with this, but a lot of times they're just random one saying after another, but they are truths, and we can hang eternity on the truths that we find in these verses. They are profitable. It is not, verse 14, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasted. Oh, you ever heard of a man who'd go, and I saw a truck for sale in the newspaper, guy was asking $8,000 for 
go and look at this truck. I'm like, wow, what? So to get it, I'm going to browbeat this guy about what a piece of garbage this vehicle is until he sells it to me for about $2,000. And then when I go on my way, ha, 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 I really got over on him. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. Oh, it's not worth that. Oh, it's got this wrong with it and that wrong with it. No, it's worth what it's worth. And God knows what it's worth. And if we beat people out of their things, I'm not saying that willing and dealing is wrong, but there comes to a point that we can, what what the Bible is saying here, it is not telling somebody that what they have isn't worth anything. And then when we get it from them, going about and bragging of how, how bad we beat them out of what they have, that is wrong. That's wrong. We wouldn't want somebody doing that to us, would we? In the golden rule of the Bible, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so unto them. So this is just as bad as the diverse weights that we read about. It's, it is lying. It is deceiving. It is doing wrong to an individual. And, you know, Jesus never did that, did he? Did Jesus ever do anybody wrong? Did Jesus ever lie to somebody or beat them out of? Did, did, did Jesus beat the leper out of something when he healed him? No. Did Jesus beat the blind man out of something when he healed him? No, he didn't. No, and he is our example that we should follow in his steps. There is gold, verse 15, and a multitude of rubies, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. You know what we were talking about earlier, the wise men, the, the, the wise men and women who have lived life, who have gone through situations who somebody of my age can go to or a young younger person, a teenager can go to and teenagers usually aren't wise enough to do this, but they will be eventually. To go to that person who has lived life and to say, I've got a question. I've got a circumstance. I've got something that I'm dealing with in my life. How should I go about the wisdom there is it's unattainable by you can't buy that with money it is more precious than rubies and it is a precious jewel verse number 16 take his garment that is purity for a stranger and take a pledge of him for a strange woman now the Bible talks a lot about being good stewards, about stewardship, about maintaining what God has given us and even increasing it. There's nothing wrong with increasing your financial value, your, your wealth on this earth. That's not what your life can, is supposed to be about. It's not coveting after riches, but there's nothing wrong with increasing your worth. But If, if you are to lend, lending money is very dangerous. Being surety for somebody, co-signing, can be very dangerous. You know, if somebody needs a co-signer, the Bible says, take a pledge of them. Not from the man who doesn't have it, but if they have something that where they can have some skin in the game. You see,
see, you can co-sign for somebody that has no skin in the game, and they might not have any inkling or desire to ever pay to make the first payment. And then what happens? I've known of good people who have been put in horrible financial situations, having to pay off somebody else's house, somebody else's car, somebody else's toy, because they signed their name to that dotted line. And the person of whom they did that for had no no desire to ever make a payment on it. You see, and that's putting their self in a bad situation. It puts their family in a bad situation. So be careful, he says by inspiration, about being surety for someone. Number 17, verse 17, bread of deceit is sweet to a man but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. You know, that person who said it is not, it is not, will there be a bell or a time? Three minutes? All right. The person who says it is not, it is not, when he first gets that whatever he beat that person out of, he thinks that's a sweet bread. The bread of deceit is and you know, he may not receive punishment till the day of judgment, but promise you, there'll be gravel in his mouth. It will not be sweet in the end. It's going to be troublesome to have to answer for sin on that final day. Oh, who can bear that thought? In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, be not deceived. God is not whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting God's not going to be mocked you're not going to go through life doing people wrong and mock God it's not going to happen verse number 18 every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war even kings that make war have counselors and advisors, and they come up with great plans and strategies before waging war as we go through life. And we're fighting spiritual war. May we always have good strategies, study, grow in the grace and knowledge, always putting on the armor of God. We cannot fight a spiritual battle without our spiritual armor. It just does not work that way because we lose our shield of faith and then we're pierced with the fiery darts of the devil. Verse number 19, and then we will be done. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. You know, some people lose their perhaps silver tongue, so to speak. Oh, what they say, it sounds so good. And they'll flatter you with their lips. And they'll tell you exactly what you want to hear. Meddle not with them. They're not going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to lie to you. Just to, for some reason, they, they think it's going to do them some kind of good. But a talebearer reveals secrets. And a talebearer can do so much damage. 
struggle with a problem, you've got something going on in your life, some type of um, secret problem, maybe a marital problem, and you go tell the wrong person, and you have just done yourself a good bit of damage. I hope this short study has been profitable for you. It has been for me, and I look forward to our next hour. In